Well, if you're just joining us, we've been diving into this series that we're calling Necessary Sins. And some of you are like, what is that? That sounds kind of cool, and I love this church, right? Necessary Sins. Like, is this church about to tell me that it's okay to sin? Because if it is, sign me up, right? (laughs) But here's the truth. Um, We're calling it necessary sins because you can look at the world and we can all agree that there are certain things in life that are just black and white, they're just wrong. Everybody, we could get around the table, have a cup of coffee, and we could probably all agree that murder is wrong. We could probably all agree that rape is wrong. Now, um, the reason that we've titled it Necessary Sins is because there are these gray areas that we kind of happen in our life, right? These things that we do so often that we also feel like it's kind of necessary just to get by. So if you were with us last week, we talked about gossip. And gossip, oftentimes, it just happens sometimes. We don't even realize that we're doing it. Sometimes we gossip just because of the fact that we're like, I just want to get through the day, so we talk about other people. Or maybe we just feel bad about ourselves right now, so we start to gossip. I want to encourage you, if you, if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week, go back and listen to it. Um, we, we, we post all of our messages online at occonnect.com. Um, but today, we're going to talk about anger. Anger. How many of you know every single person deals with anger? Raise your hand if you deal with anger. If you're not raising your hand, just get in your car, drive out of here, and let somebody slam on the brakes right in front of you, and your anger will manifest itself instantly, right? Everybody, in some way, form, or fashion, deals with anger. But we've been using this psalm kind of throughout this series, and this is kind of the heartbeat of this series. This is why we're diving through this topic. And in Psalm um, 139, 23, this is kind of the big idea. This is why we're doing this series. It says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Now watch this. This is kind of our prayer. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. That is our prayer for this series. Like if there's gossip in us, like God, search my heart, point it out. If there's anything inside of my heart, inside of my life that is offensive to you, would you reveal it to me? So today our prayer and our heart is that, man, if there's anger living inside of me, God, would you search me? Would you begin to point it out ultimately so that I can deal with it? And one of the lines that we've been saying throughout this series is just because culture says something is okay does not mean it's okay for us. Because the truth is, as children of God, we're called to live to a higher standard. We're called to say, you know what, just because culture says it's okay doesn't mean that we take part in it. So... Today's going to be another tough topic. I believe gossip was a tough topic last week. I think a lot of us kind of looked at um, different parts and pieces of our lives when we begin to realize maybe where we are allowing the sin of gossip to manifest in our life. But I think if we look at our life today, we can also see different pieces where anger has taken root inside of our heart. Now, let me clarify something about anger. There is um, sinful anger, and then there is righteous anger. So there is an easier way to say it was, there is good anger and there is bad anger. And we're actually going to talk about both of those today. But I want you to understand something. Feeling upset when something bad happens is not necessarily wrong. Our response to anger is what leads us to sin. So feeling upset is not necessarily sinful. It's how we respond is what causes it to be sinful. 
Ephesians 4 puts it this way in verse 26 through 27. It says, in your anger, do not sin. We, most of us, we could just stop there and say, God, I don't like that verse, <laughs> right? Why is that? In your anger, do not sin. Now, now watch this. He's going to explain why it's important for this not to happen. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Now watch this. And do not give the devil a foothold. I did this this week, and I've read this verse for years. And as I was reading it this week, I was like, man, I wonder what the actual translation of foothold like really means. Because I think a lot of times we do this, right? We, we read certain passages in Scripture and we go, okay, yeah, I just read it. And we don't really dive into what does that really mean. The word foothold in Greek, look, this is the actual definition of foothold. The word foothold in Greek simply means opportunity to occupy a room in your house. So here's, if we were to read this scripture in the actual context, it would read like this. And do not give the devil an opportunity in your anger to occupy a room in your house. Another way to say it throughout this series would be don't allow anger to give the enemy a guest room in your heart. Don't allow the enemy through anger to give the enemy through the sin of anger a guest room in your heart. This is why Psalms 139 at the very top of this series is so important when it says, search me, O God, and point out anything in me that would be offensive to you. See, the truth is the reason that some of us deal with anger and we don't realize, like, why does it just explode in certain moments? Why does it just manifest itself? Or why, are, why do the simplest things set me off? The truth is because we've given the enemy a guest room in our house and he's gotten real comfortable in our hearts. And he's there and he's camping out and he's living and you're feeding him and you're taking care of him and you're making his bed and you're vacuuming his room and you're going through the whole process. You have given the enemy a guest room in your house. But my prayer through this sermon, through this message, is that as we allow God to begin to search the rooms, we begin to realize that we have given the enemy a guest room, and hopefully by the end of this message, we can serve him an eviction notice, <laughs> right? Because that's the goal in all of this, that we can look at it and go, okay, this is the piece of my heart that I've allowed the enemy to take hold of. I've given him a foothold. I've given him a room. I've given him some ground, we see this very popularly in the uh, Old Testament in the book of Genesis. Anybody remember the story of Cain and Abel? So one brother, right? One brother, they go off and the one's a farmer and one is taking care of sheep. And uh, we see that God is pleased with Abel's offering, that he gives his first, he gives his best. And Cain goes and he gives just a little bit and we, we see that God is displeased with Cain by the amount that he had gave because he goes, no, you, you're not giving me your first, you're not giving your, your, me your best. And so we see that God is displeased with Cain and he is pleased with Abel. And this leads to Cain getting angry. And I want you to see the verse. This is what God says to Cain. He says, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, watch this, will you not be accepted? Like if you do what is right, just go back, fix the mistake, and will you not be accepted? Watch what he says, this. He says, but if you do not do what is right, sin 
is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, if you do what is right, you'll be accepted. But if you hold on to your anger, sin is waiting in the shadows to destroy you. So if you hold on to it, and if you can't forgive that person for what they've done to you, because the enemy has a guest room in your heart, and you just hold on to it, it says, you know what? Sin is waiting for you, and it's waiting for the most opportune moment when you feel weak. And when you have a bad day, that sin is going to manifest itself. It's going to come alive. And, and we, we know throughout this story that Cain just has a rough day. He has a bad day. The anger gets a hold of him. The enemy comes out of the guest room. He occupies the main room of his heart. And what does he do? He kills his brother. All out of one seed of anger, something that he was not willing to put to death. Here's the, the truth again. How you respond to anger determines how many rooms in your heart are occupied by anger. So listen, <clears throat> getting angry sometimes is unavoidable. If you have small kids, getting angry is unavoidable, right? If you're married, getting angry is unavoidable. If you work a jo- if you're just a human being, <laughs> getting angry is unavoidable. But it's how you respond to that anger is going to determine so much. So let me, just for kicks, real quick, talk about two different ways, two different personalities here, two different ways that we may deal with anger. Two, or or should I say it this way, two destructive ways that we deal with anger. There's spewers and there's stewers. There's spew, you probably already know which one you are, right? You, You already know which one you are. So I put it this way, spewers, number one, spewers express their anger. Now, I'm just going to be honest. Express is the nice way to say it. <laughs> um, it's more like explode, erupt, nuclear explosion, volcanic destruction. Like when you get mad, everybody knows, right? Like that you can walk into your house and you're having a great day. And when somebody in your, like when, when your husband or your wife, if they're a spewer, like when they get mad, you're like, I'm just going to go in my bunker for five minutes and come out when she's done, right? Or when he's done or whatever it is. When, when a spewer gets mad, everybody knows. Um, I'm kind of both. I'm kind of a spewer and a stewer. When I get hurt, I'm a spewer. Like if I stub my toe on something, you guys have this picture. I want to show you this picture. This happened to me a few weeks ago. Um, I was, yeah, you see that? Um, Ryan was actually with me. We were clearing some stuff. Um, on the back of my porch, and we had this glass shelf, and so I was getting all of this stuff off of my porch, and we're bringing it to the dump, and we're, we load it up in Ryan's trailer, and we're throwing it out into the dump, and this glass, like, shelf has these glass partitions that we're taking out, and there's, the, you know, there's this manly side of me that's like, I don't need Ryan to help me pull this glass piece out. I'm going to get this myself, right? And uh, so I pick this glass thing up, and I got to get it over the lip of the trailer. And so I get it over the, uh, the lip of the trailer. It's over my head, and I go to throw it. And little do I know, I don't project it anywhere. It just slips out of my hands and comes, boom, right on my nose. For the next 15 seconds, I blanked out. I don't even remember what I said, but everything just came out, right? <laughs> and Ryan can attest to this. This is true. Like a- about 10 seconds later, I was so mad, I jump off the trailer and like, I'm looking for something and there's this metal bar next to me and I just start shattering the glass. <laughs> Take that, you piece of glass, right? So sometimes, please, yeah, thank you for taking that down. Um, 
but it busted my nose. And then all of a sudden, sometimes if we're spewers, like we get so angry, the next 15 to 20 seconds, just things come out. And we're not really responsible for what comes out because it just comes out. We don't know where it comes from, but it just comes out because that anger, we just, we just spew, right? Obviously, this is a funny example, but let's talk about real life. Because spewing anger is a lot like an exploding bomb. I don't know if you know this about when bombs explode. People actually, most people don't actually uh, die from the actual explosion, but they die from the shrapnel that is spread everywhere over the bomb. Most people die from everything that is getting blown to pieces and, you know, screws and all these other different things that are flying through the air. And here's what you have to understand if you are a spewer. When you spew anger, there's always going to be collateral damage. Always. So here's here's how it looks when you're a spewer. Usually before you hurt yourself, you hurt everybody else. If you're a spewer, you usually hurt everybody else around you before you end up hurting yourself. Listen to what Proverbs 29, 11 says. Fools, <laughs> spewers, <laughs> fools vent their anger, but the wise quickly hold it back. Another one in Proverbs 14, 7. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. All right, so number two, let's talk about Stewards, all right? Stewards. Stewards suppress their anger. I like to call you diggers. You like to dig holes and you take your emotions and you like to bury them down there, hoping that they will never come out, right? Hoping that nobody will ever recognize how angry you are, how frustrated you are, and you just kind of bury it down. Here's the problem with stewards. Watch what Psalms 32 3 says. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. How do you know when you just suppress your emotions and you hide them and you try to numb them? Have you ever felt the physical effects on your body? How it just starts to affect you? Now, here's the truth. Because I used to think, because in, in most aspects of life, I'm a steward. Ex- for the exception of pain. If I stub my toe on something, boom, it comes out, right? But for most aspects of life, I'm a steward. And I used to think well, I'm just better because I don't say all the dumb things that everybody else says, right? My wife is a spewer. And I'm like, well, you just say everything on your mind, and obviously I am better than you because I don't say the horrific things that you say. But here's the problem with stewers. You have the same fights that stewers do. I mean, you have the same fights that everybody that expresses their anger, except you do it in your head. You say the same things that spewers do. You just do it right here. So when somebody, when, when somebody walks in the room that really angers you, like you are destroying them in your mind. Like just completely ripping them to shreds. And then they walk into the room. They're like, how you doing? You're just like, what's wrong? Just, just get out of here. <laughs> right? You have, the, like, you have the stoic face. You're like, dude. What is wrong with her? And you think, well, I'm better off because I just stew and I don't say everything. But the problem is you're thinking everything. The the, the spewers usually just say everything that you are thinking. So you have this story um, in the New Testament of the prodigal son and the older brother. See, one was a spewer and one was a stewer. The spewer was the prodigal son. He went up to his father and he said, hey, dad, 
give me my inheritance. I don't know if you realize the context of what he said in that. Um, Because in Eastern culture, if a son would have walked up to a father and said, give me what is owed to me, this is what would have happened. It was the equivalent of saying, dad, you're dead to me. Give me my money and I'm never going to see you again. That's what that really meant. Give me my inheritance. So the father knew when the son said that to him, like, this is over. I'm going to give the money to him and I'm never going to see him again. So he, he just spewed how he felt. Give me the money. I don't, I don't appreciate you. I don't want to live in your house. I don't want to carry your name. I just want to go do my own thing, right? Well, then you have the older brother who doesn't often get mentioned in the story, but the, I think there's a lot to learn from the older brother. So we've got the spear that goes out. He squanders. And the older brother, who, who listened to this, he stayed. He stayed home with his dad. Imagine what the conversations were like. You know what, Dad? I know he's gone, but I'm here with you. I'll help you work the fields. I'll help you figure it out. I'll help you put the pieces back together. I'll be with you. I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. See, the older brother usually doesn't have sermons preached about him. We often don't even mention him. But think about it. This was the brother that stayed when the other brother was out living the crazy lifestyle. This was the brother that did all the right things. He sees his unfaithful brother receive special treatment when he comes back home, though. Think of it. You're the one that stayed home with your father through all the reckless years where your brother was going out for crazy. And then when your brother comes home, knowing all the pain that your brother causes your dad, you're thinking, I mean, dad's at least going to tell him something. I mean, imagine if you were the brother, what would you want to say? Like, do you realize how much pain you've caused dad? Do you realize like three years that you were gone, like every single night he prayed for you, wept for you, cried for you, and I was there for him? Imagine the feelings that the older brother is feeling, and then the father has a complete different response. What does he do? My son's home. Give him anything that he wants. Imagine the feeling of the older brother. Whoa! I have stayed with you, and you're just going to give this reckless guy, like he's just going to come back into the family? So what is he doing? He's stewing. He's building up. Now watch this. When the father was throwing the party for the prodigal son, there is this small verse in Luke chapter 15, verse 28. Watch what happens. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. He became so angry that he refused to celebrate the victory that his brother had. Like, man, my brother's home. He's not living a reckless life anymore, and dad's there, and we're going to welcome him. But because he was a steward, because he just let anger kind of soak into his heart, he gave the enemy a foothold, a guest room in his heart. It says when they begin to celebrate, he goes, nah, not for me. Not for me. See, stewards often feel like they're in control of their anger because they're not spewing. But two things happen with stewards. The truth is, It destroys you on the inside before it destroys anybody else. See, spewers destroy everybody else first, then they often destroy themselves second. It's just flipped. And then the second thing is, eventually you will erupt. (laughs) So you ever like, you can, you can tell people are stewards when, like, for months they've been just been holding it all in. And then you and your wife may have, like, this dumb argument about, is that a lemon or is it an apple? You know, 
And you're like, no, I'm pretty sure it's an apple. No, I'm pretty sure it's a lemon. God, I hate every time that you do that. You're like, oh my God, where did that come from? We were just talking about lemons and apples, and now you're talking about how you hate our marriage and our children and my job is whole. Like, where in the world did that come from? And then all of a sudden they're throwing out, well, 10 years ago, you'd be like, oh my God, you've been holding all of that in? See, your explosion of angers will hurt others, but it often hurts you first. So here's what we got to deal with today. Here's what we got to reconcile with today. What do we do with our anger? What do we do with it? So 15 times in Scripture, the metaphor of anger is related to a fire. Now, Fire is kind of peculiar. It's like a paradox. Because if you live in Alaska, fire is essential for living, right? Like if you don't have fire, you're going to freeze to death. You're not going to be able to cook anything. Even fire in our own Western culture, what does it do? It heats our water. It heats our homes. We use it for so many good things. But the direct opposite is true of fire. If you leave your stove on too long, you can burn your house down. Fire is something that can be used for a great gain and great benefit, but if you're not careful, it can also destroy everything in its path. And you see, anger is the same way. See, there's sinful anger and then there's righteous anger. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. So number one, let's talk about sinful anger. If there is sinful anger in your heart, put it out. So this is the fire that we've got to come down to a place to go, okay, I've got to do something to put this out. Like, if I, don't, if, I don't, if I allow this fire to continue to rage, it's going to be super destructive. Proverbs 17.4 puts it like this, starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Can you imagine the pressure behind a dam? And when you have that small breach, what happens if you don't repair that? It just comes gushing over. And, and here's the truth. Here's what I've learned, especially in my own life. So many of us excuse our anger with, this is just the way God made me. Well, this is just, this is just my personality. This is just how I am. I'm just a hot-tempered person. Let me prove to you that that is just a lousy excuse. <laughs> so let me prove it to you. Um, this is a real conversation in my household. Dang it, babe, I told you I am sick of eating rabbit food. <laughs> like, my, my wife is a health nut. I'm like, I do not want to eat another, like, asparagus, Brussels sprout, or something. Gr- like, I need, I need, I want, like, hot Cheetos. That's what I want, all right? And we could be in this heated argument over food, over I'm sick of eating this kind of food, and my phone rings, and I'm having like this anger spat on my wife, and it's my dad. I'm like, hey, yeah, of course I'll be at the pastor's meeting. Yeah, I just finished writing a sermon on anger and counseling somebody. Glory to God. Babe, I told you I don't want to eat that food. How many of you, that's like a true story in your household, right? It happened to you this morning. You know, what do you mean? You're getting the kids ready. Ask, swear to God, son, if you don't pull those pants up, I'm going to whip that button. Two seconds. You better put those shoes on. That shoe is on the wrong foot. You better put that shirt on. No, you're not wearing the same shirt that you wore last Sunday. Everybody's going to think we're just hobos. Okay, put the other shirt on. That's Pastor Zach. Wave. <laughs> Wave. 
smile and wave, boys, smile and wave. And then the phone rings, or you see somebody at Walmart. You're just like in Walmart, your kid's in the line. I want the Snickers. Your uh, son, five spankings when you get home if you ask me for a Snickers again, right? And then you see a teacher at school. Oh, hey! I swear to God, you're like pinching your, your, your two-year-old smile, boy, <laughs> right? So here's what I've learned about anger. Anger is learned behavior. You have the ability to control it. Anger is learned behavior. You have the ability to switch it on or switch it off, depending on the circumstances. See, instead of getting angry over my wife wanting to cook healthy food, I should look at it the flip side, right? Okay, she's concerned about our family and she wants us to live a long time. And she knows if I keep putting that in my body, I'm going to have health complications later on. See, what we don't often do within anger is we don't give the person the benefit of the doubt behind their intentions of why they're acting a certain way. So let's take this a step further. Could it be that the woman that talks too much at work that drives you crazy and makes you angry, and the only reason that she keeps talking and talking is because when she gets home, she just has toddlers, and she's a single mother, and she just has toddler talk, and this is the only time that she gets adult conversation? See, it gives you a complete different perspective on these things. As Christ followers, here's the truth, we're called to be peace givers, not rage bringers. We're called to be peace givers, not rage givers. See, one of the things that damages your witness as a Christ follower instantly is, man, when you just lose it. People are like, man, if that's like what Jesus is like, or if that's what the church is like, I don't know if I want any part of this. So this is James 1, 19 through 20. This is always a convicting passage for me. Everyone should be quick to listen. Everyone should be quick to listen. Watch this. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So in other words, when you are slow to anger, you become a lot like Jesus. See, in seven books of the Bible that I could find in preparing for this, we see that God is slow to anger. I had this thought, I was just preparing this this week, and this was, honestly, was deeply convicting to me, and I hope that it'll do the same thing to you that it did to me. All the things, I want you to get this, all the things that other people have done to you to make you angry, you have done to God. All the things that other people do to you that make you so frustrated and I don't want to forgive them, you have done it 20 times over to God. And here's what God does to us. When God is angry, he's quick to listen. All right, I'll I'll listen to your prayers. And then he is slow to become angry. But see, we often take the direct opposite approach. When people do something to us, we get angry. We're not quick to listen. We're very quick to respond. And we say, no, you're going to pay. I want you to think about it this way, though. Everything that you've done to other people, you've done it to God. And he continuously forgives you. He continuously walks slowly in his wrath and his anger towards you. See, if there is a sinful fire in your heart, if you have opened up a guest room within your heart and you have given the enemy a foothold, that is sinful anger, and we've got to do whatever we can to put that flame out. 
So how do we do that? We simply do that by following the example that God set before us. And that is simply this. We're quick to listen and we're slow to anger. So maybe when you're in a conversation, instead of going, all right, as soon as they're done, um, you're like formulating a defense in your mind right away, you know? Instead of doing that, it's, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to hear them out. And rather than being quick to respond, I'm going to be quick to listen. So let's talk about the second thing. Let's talk about righteous anger. See, righteous anger, if you have righteous anger, I want to encourage you this morning to fan the flame. If you have sinful anger, man, put that fire out. But if you have righteous anger, fan the flame and get the flame a whole lot bigger. So here's what I mean by this. Righteous anger is you looking at culture and seeing all the things that people are trying to push on us, to change our mindset, to change how we should operate, to change how we should do certain things. And you say, you know what, that's wrong, and I'm standing up to make it right. If you really want to get my blood boiling, tell me that killing a baby is a woman's right to choose. See, that's a righteous anger there. I don't know if you know this. I looked at the statistic, and we talk about this all the time. I don't think we really realize this. How many of you agree, just show of hands, you would agree that Hitler was an evil man? Okay. In Hitler's lifetime, he killed 11 million people. That is a lot of people. Since 1978 of Roe v. Wade, we've killed 60 million babies. So the, gen- like the genocide of abortion is so much greater than even Hitler or Stalin like combined. And here's what I want you to hear me saying, because I know as, as, as soon as I talk about this topic, people think that I'm getting political or anything. I'm not. Here's the truth. If, if you've been stuck in that position where you've had to make that tough decision to, to give up your baby, I want you to understand this. Like, hear me genuinely. This is my heart. Like, God loves you, and there's always a second chance for you. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm not here to push you down. I'm not here to say, man, you should get out of here and there's no place for you. Listen, if you've made a mistake, this church will always be a place where you can have a home, okay? But here's what I am saying. What culture does when they realize that they cannot make things right, they start changing the language to convince us that it should be right. See, dehumanization actually starts with language, See, because if you don't value a human life, well, then you can tack on certain words to it. Well, it's just choice. It's not a life. And then we start making stupid arguments about cells and what nine weeks is. Listen, it's life. Every single human being on this planet, whether you want to recognize it or what, we are wired to take care of people. We are wired to fight and defend for life. So see, this is what I'm saying. This is a righteous anger. This is the type of anger that God says, you know what? Fan the flame for that and go for it. Make a difference in this culture and in this world. This is the type of anger that God is calling us to amp up. I'll give you an example of it. Jesus goes into the temple um, one Sunday, and it's the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath... In Jewish custom, like, they took it so literally that you cannot work on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus goes into the temple, and he sees this man with a withered hand. A man that needs Jesus. And now these Pharisees are kind of watching him from above in the temple, and they're looking for just reasons to go, okay, God, we got you. You broke the law. 
So they're waiting for Jesus to do some type of work. They're waiting for him to screw up. And watch what happens. Mark 3, verse 5. Jesus looked around at them in anger. So he's looking at the Pharisees. At them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and he completely restored his hand in that moment. Jesus says, no, no, no. This has nothing to do with the laws or the customs or a rule. This is a man in need. I'm going to help him. There was an anger about him that says, listen, I need to do something about this. And this is where we have to get to today as a culture. See, Jesus' anger propelled him to do something that was productive, not destructive. Where is your anger leading you? Is your anger leading you to, to create more destruction Or is your anger leading you to a place that says, you know what, this is an injustice, this is wrong, this is not right. We've got to do something about that. Here's another thing. There's actually 4,787 foster kids in the state of Louisiana. Like for some of you, that statistic should anger you. That that, that should fire you up, that there's almost 5,000 children that do not have a home. Like, so as, listen to me, as like the body of Christ, as Christians that proclaim the greatest news on the face of it, like, what are we going to do about that? We care about that deeply here at the church, at our church. I mean, um, this Christmas, if you were with us, there was, uh, there's actually 67 kids in the foster care system this year in Acadia Parish that weren't going to get a Christmas present. So what did we do? We, we stood up before the church and we said, let's raise money. And man, we were able to raise enough money to buy every child a Christmas present. But, but here's the truth. It has to go beyond just going, oh, the church is going to take care of that. See, this is more begging the question, like, what are you going to do? What are you personally going to do? What are we going to do about the 60 million babies killed since 1978? What are we going to do about the 5,000 kids that don't have a home? Man, if you want your gut just, I mean, if you want your heart just ripped out of your chest, just go a few blocks over right down to the foster care service and you see kids like sitting on the bench just going, hey, uh, I don't know where that kid's going to sleep tonight. You can just sleep on the couch. Like that, that'll just like, God, man, that actually exists. See, the truth is I've been all over the world. I've got to travel in some of the poorest nations in the world. And here's what I have learned. You don't have to go to Kenya to make a difference. You can just go in your backyard. (laughs) You know that there's actually children here in the city of Crowley that don't eat, that don't get the love and the nurturing that most of our kids get that would live in our homes. So this is an anger that we would say, man, what are we going to do about that? I'll conclude with this. We all need a Popeye moment. (laughs) What do I mean by that? How many remember the cartoon Popeye? You remember his, uh, his, his girlfriend, Olive Oil? That's a dumb name. But anyway, Olive Oil. And, and who was Popeye's like, arch nemesis? Anybody remember? Brutus. And you remember that every cartoon, almost every episode was centered around Brutus was terrorizing Olive Oil, right? And finally, when Popeye like, had enough of it, what did he do? He, he opened a can of what, spinach, <laughs> He opened a can of spinach, and he ate the spinach, and what happens? He got super strength, he beat Brutus, rescued the girlfriend. Like some of us, that's what needs to happen to us. We go, we look at the injustice in society and say, no! Like I have a responsibility 
as somebody that says I'm a child of God, that I'm going to stand up for injustice. So here's what this means practically for some of us. Maybe women, listen to me, get angry about the way your boyfriend treats your body and leave him. He doesn't love you anyway. That's all he wants. He don't love you anyway. Or maybe it's getting angry about your depression and your loneliness. Say, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being lonely. I'm getting in a life group. I'm coming to church. I'm I'm diving in to community. Maybe it's you getting angry about the state of your marriage and you saying, you know what? No, we're going to counseling. Like, see, this is fanning the flame of righteous anger. There are things in your life that you're frustrated with, that you're angry about, that you're saying, man, if I continue down this path, it's not going to be good for me. So here's what God would say to you today. Man, fan the flame of that anger. A righteous anger that says, you know what, I'm going to stand up for injustice. I'm going to stand up for this piece in my marriage that is not right or this piece in my life that is not right. What are we going to do about that? So it's real simple this morning. If it's sinful anger, put out the flame. If it's righteous anger, fan the flame of that anger. And some of you, the first step is simply this. Maybe you're just angry about where your life is at right now. Maybe you're like, you know what, I've tried everything. I've tried reading self-help books. I've tried talking to people. I've tried doing everything that I know, but I'm just still unhappy life. I'm depressed. I'm disappointed. I'm discouraged. I've been reading this researcher a lot. Her name is Brene Brown, and, and she, one of the things that she points out is this. We live in a culture that numbs itself, right? So we don't like to deal with pain. We don't like to deal with hurt. So we have gotten to the place where we just numb things. So we wake up in the morning, and we're like, oh, man, I don't really want to think about the state of my life. So what do we do? We, we watch eight hours of Netflix, We take pain pills so we can go to bed and we just try to numb so I don't have to think about it. Here's the problem with numbing life. When you're trying to suppress and numb particular emotions, you can't be selective in which emotions you numb. So here's what happens. You numb them all. You numb depression, you numb anxiety, and and then here's the bad news. You numb peace and joy because you can't be selective in which things you numb. And so guess what? So for some of you, it's saying, okay, I'm angry about that. I've been down this like my entire life. And here's the one thing I can promise you, you probably never tried. You've never gone full-fledged, full force into going, okay, God, what do you want me to do? I'll dive into the deep end. I'll dive into community, even though it freaks me out. I'll get open about my depression, about my anxiety. I'll start talking. What do you want me to do? You get angry about it. And when you get angry enough, what do you do? You do something. 